it looks like um, a fridge. Yeah. Or let's say a washing machine. You, you a top loader washing machine where you throw in, it's open. You throw in your, um, your recyclable material. It lands on a platform where we use um, our camera image recognition and a bunch of other electronics to know what exactly has been thrown in and the quantity of it. Stick your neck out. The weekly podcast of the Giraffe Heroes Foundation. Welcome to another episode of the podcast to restore your faith in humanity. Every week in this podcast, I talk to a commended Giraffe Hero by the Giraffe Heroes Foundation or a Cantari alumni, social change makers, people sticking the neck out for their communities, trying to change something in the world for good. My guest today is not a commended Giraffe Hero. He's also not a Cantari alumni. My guest today is a friend of Giraffes. He will be the second person after our episode with Angela about TCM, who is a supporting member of the Giraffe Heroes Foundation. And in our podcast, also the Friends of Giraffes find a platform to tell their stories, because also the Friends of Giraffes are, in their own way, sticking their necks out. Today's podcast is about artificial intelligence and recycling. As we all know, efficient waste management is one of the great challenges of our times. The good news is that new digital technologies can make life much easier for municipalities, residents and companies. Imagine a bin that can identify the rubbish thrown into it. Imagine that the person using it is being trialed across the country as part of efforts to reduce waste. Well, behind this idea is friend of Giraffe, Tahir Ayola Brimo, with whom I have the great pleasure to talk today. Welcome, Ayola. Thanks a lot, Jan Pierre. That was a really amazing introduction. Thanks you. Ayola is a scientist and a social entrepreneur. He is a co-founder of Cycle Technologies. Cycle Technologies helps users who want to recycle more and reduce their general waste collection bill by using a smart bin. This smart bin, Ayola's innovation, uses image recognition and artificial intelligence to recognize waste items thrown into it and sorts individual material types into separate inner bins. But I'm sure he can explain it better. So, Ayola, it seems that you have identified a clear problem statement. What exactly is your product and its value proposition? Yeah, sure. I think you kind of like already touched it a bit in that we are developing a smart waste bin. The bin basically solves the problem of contamination of recyclables that are thrown into a regular bin. And I'll give you an instance. When you have a bin that's open and you throw in a material that is recyclable, you put it in the right bin, you could have 80% of the people doing the right thing, putting the right material or the right waste item in the right bin. But if you have 20% of the people just come in there and throw in a slice of pizza or you know, a cup of coffee, you kind of stain the material which you're collecting, the recyclables. Now, going downstream, what that does is that it makes it more difficult, more expensive, and sometimes not even worthwhile to recycle the material because they need to go through a cleaning process. So what we have tried to do is not rely on, I would say, the human intuition anymore or the human concentration and then trying to assist with the machine to actually do this sorting. 
this is one of the aspects of, I would say, everyday decision the machine does well, you know, making decisions to know very binary logical decisions. Is this plastic? Is this metal? Is this paper? And so we have just basically embedded this technology, which is powered by artificial intelligence, to be able to sort the material as you throw it inside the bin and then safeguard whatever we have collected from contamination. Okay, so let, let's put this a little bit clear. I mean, you, we are talking about artificial intelligence and recycling. How is Cycled reconfiguring the view of recycling with artificial intelligence at all? So, first of all, you know, um, when we talk about waste bins, they have been the same for maybe the whole, I think, decades or even centuries now. They have been very little smartness into them. They're just a piece of container. It's basically, there has been very little developmental or progress in this aspect of, you know, an equipment. So when I say, when we say anybody says smart bin, it's basically, there is no real, the barrier is not so high in terms of making it smarter than it is already, because let's face it, there's no smartness in them currently. Yeah. So, but in our sense, what we have done is um, we have tried not to just make it something that just had a little add-on in the sense of telling you when the bean is full or telling you, oh, this bean needs to be cleaned up, but also making the bean make decisions in the sense that when you throw in a certain material, it can accept it, it can reject it, and it can also sort it out. And what this does is taking the sorting problem from the landfill where it usually happens to the point of collection. So in the sense that in the recycling cycle, you have three spots. You have the collection, you have the disposal collection, and then the, the return back. What we do is at the disposal, and we, we, we shrink disposal and collection into the same point because we are not doing disposal, transporting it to a landfill, and then doing a sorting from there. So everything is happening in one location. And in that sense, you can only imagine you're saving time and money. Of course, and that's really important. <laughs> time and money. Now, you have the idea for this cycle app whilst observing environmental challenges in Nigeria. Vast heaps of garbage is home to landfill workers who already have the mindset for recycling. How does recycling work in your homeland and how did the cycle app apply? Yeah, that's a really good question. And because um, I like the direction because that was actually how Cycle started. We were exposed to the problem of waste management and recycling in Lagos. Nigeria is my home country and um, I grew up in uh, the south of Lagos. So having that personal connection to this problem was actually what started up Cycle with my co-founders. Nigeria and I would say every location you go to the waste management process is pretty unique or specifically Nigeria is, I would say, extremely unique because we have a system where you can say that the informal waste collectors, that's the people who are going to the landfill to pick up the recyclables from there, those guys are the pillar of sustainability in the waste management sector in Nigeria because that's where most, or I would say, close to 75% of recycling is being collected at the landfill. And it is not an organized or like, you know, a formal sector. It's people just trying to make a living. 
as you can imagine, these are very poor people. These are people who are working in a very in an environment that it's not healthy. And that's why, of course, you know, no one can actually formalize that as a sector. Looking at that, we thought there had to be a better way. And we looked into, you know, different kinds of solutions and later realized that, you know, this problem is actually universal. It's not just a Nigerian problem. But specifically for Nigeria, we thought about it and said, it's the same issue. You take this material, you put it into a bin, you pile it up with every other material, like other um, waste items, paper, plastic, um, apples, banana peels, whatever. You plug them all together, put them in a the truck and go throw them in a the landfill. In that landfill, you then have the informal waste workers picking out the recyclables or the valuables from there. It didn't make any sense. If it's valuable, why does it go to the landfill? You don't see people throwing diamonds or money into the bin and taking it to the landfill. Right at the source, you can just collect it from there since it has value. And if you collect it from the source, the value even increases. So it just made sense for us to break that line and connect the informal workers directly to the source rather than them going to pick it up from the landfill they can pick it up directly from the people who generate the waste and that's what the cycle app does it basically connects the informal waste sector to the direct source of the waste and in a sense that you can look at it like an uber for waste in the sense that when someone had waste as recyclables as accumulated as a location um, a request is being sent and the closest informal waste collector gets that request and he go picks up his clean, sorted and more valuable recyclable to earn some more money. I find really interesting that you said that these, these people are the pilots of sustainability because a few years ago, if I'm not, um, if I'm wrong, please correct me. I think the Secretary of the State Government in Lagos, Nigeria, said that investigations had revealed which was the problem that caused floods. And apparently, cart pushers were responsible for most of the illegal dumping of waste in canals and road medians at night, which then resulted in floodings. How is the situation of the cart pushers in Lagos? Yeah, um, you're right. And that, that report came out, I think, about two years ago, like you said, two years ago. It is very... I would say it is sad that this could actually be the case, if it's actually the case. Um, but what really would be the cause for that kind of behavior is, again, going back to contamination. If the material you pick from the landfill is too dirty, no one will buy from you because it is too difficult and too expensive to clean it up before you can recycle it. And at the end of the day, what do they do it? Then you have to throw it out. Now, I am not saying that the cops pushers are responsible for this. We cannot, you know, I don't think anyone can like accurately verify that, or I don't think anyone can point to a case where they caught a collective of cart pushers actually throwing this waste into the gutter. But what I am saying is if it is actually the case that these materials are being dumped back into the gutter, that's because they have become worthless. Because again, no one would throw any value into the gutter. No one is going to throw um, diamonds or money into the gutter. Yeah, and that's I think that's the actually the, the good thing about cycle because you will have 
or you already have a working solution to help the environment and people in Lagos. So the question here is, how is it going exactly with them? It's been, it's been a very tedious procedure. Um, one thing we have learned along the line is you could design or you could build as a company for social good, but if you are not generating wealth in the process, the social good which you are trying to fulfill would never be sustainable. There has to be a business model where you can actually make money for yourself, the company rather, and the um, individuals who you're trying to support. Now, when you talk about waste item and plastic, or for instance, plastic, there are so many, I would say, intricacies in terms of when you want to generate waste. First of all, you would need to collect a significant amount to be actually be able to get some amount of some wealth. And second, there is a logistical problem in trying to connect the cart pushers or the you know informal waste sector directly to the household. So they go to the landfill and they just have one point one location. Now, if you want them to go collect directly from the household, you have to provide some logistics to them. And when you provide that, you have to also make sure it's financially sensible so they can still make money so we have had to kind of like iterate several times and this is why we came up with the smart bin in the sense that you don't want a collector to get a request of only five plastic bottles and have to go like you know 10 kilometers to go pick that where his um fuel is even like you know um, orders of magnitude is more expensive than the amount of um, of plastic he's collected so what the smart bin does is basically it ensures that there's an accumulation of that material in a certain location before the um, the the cut pusher or the informal waste um, collector will have to go pick it up. Um, that's one aspect. Um, and the second aspect is there is a lot of education to be done um, because the smart bin is, I would say, an enabler. It's um, it's not really the only solution that's of course not. it's not yeah. it, it's not it's not technology it's not um the i'll say it's not the silver or the golden bullet there's several other aspects of this problem because at the end of the day what we are solving is not if you think about it conceptually it's not primarily a waste problem it's a people's problem yeah. So we have to deal with people's psychology in the sense of making people understand the impact of what they're doing and how we can, you know, navigate away from that. Yeah. So there's a lot of education and a lot of, you know, campaigns that also have to go into all of this from both sides, the land, the, the, the informal sector and, you know, the citizens of the state. So I would say in that sense, it's been really, really tedious for, us to kind of like reach a point where we have made financial sense of that system. But as it is now, we have, um, I would say we have a pathway to do it, but we are not there yet. Okay. Okay. Now it's always a process, you know, yeah. and in this process it's also like, you know, you have to make your, your field research and it takes always a while. So there is something you called the cycled process. Do you mind to explain what do you mean with it? The, the, the cycle process is, I would say, fundamentally our guiding principle in the sense that it does not make sense to have the conventional way of you dump, you take it to a central location, you sort, 
there is contamination, there's reduction of value, and then you bring it back to a point where you want to recycle it. Our process is you can do everything in a single location. That reduces cost, that reduces logistics, that reduces um, the CO2 impact. Even. Um, so our process and our aim is always to decentralize this process of waste management. It doesn't have to be all going to one stop. You can have many stops, you know, um, decentralized stops where you can do all of them at the same point in the same location. Okay. So I would say the cycle system is taking it from a three-stop um, system to a one-stop system. Okay, that means... So I will play I will play the dummy here. That means that you put everything on the smart pin and everything happens in this smart pin, right? Exactly. So this is a podcast and our listeners can't really see how this recycled pin looks like. Do you mind to describe it for us? So it looks like um, a fridge. Okay. Um, yeah. Or let's say a washing machine. You, you a top loader washing machine where you throw in it's open, you throw in your um, your recyclable material, it lands on a platform where we use um, our camera image recognition and a bunch of other electronics to know what exactly has been thrown in and the quantity of it. After that, there are a few moving parts, that's mottos, which would then direct that material to the right inner bin. So mm -hmm. you think about it like you have... Uh, a checkpoint for the material. It stops, you check it, and when we know, when the machine knows exactly what that material is, it will then directly to the right bin, which is inside beneath the checkpoint. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if you want to see it as um, a process flow, you would say instead of having your bin where you just throw it and it goes directly inside the bin, you would have a layer on top of that bin that checks everything to be sure that, you know, or to know exactly what the material is before it throws it into the bin for you. That's the inner bin. Mm, sounds great. So it's like this reverse vending machines which pay out a deposit in exchange of the return of a plastic bottle. Like this is a system really common in Germany. So it's correct to say that this smart bin of yours uses rewards to encourage more people to recycle? Yes. Um, yeah, first of all, yes, you're right. It's definitely like a reverse vending machine. Um, that's very popular in Europe and Germany, most especially. The, the main difference between our, say, our product and the reverse vending machine is just the technology is that we use artificial intelligence. And, and also we do not, um, reverse vending machines are mostly tied to a concept of the deposit scheme that's also popular in Germany. Deposit scheme, just to give um, a brief introduction is, you go buy a bottle of beverage, plastic, it's the container. When you're buying it, the government mandates the seller to take a deposit from you. So when you throw it out or whether you, if you throw it out, you bring it back, whatever the case, once it gets back to the seller, they have to give you back the deposit. So the reverse vending machine works on that concept where we do the collection for you and then give you back your deposit. So it's a very tight mechanism with the deposit scheme. Now, if you take this to a country where there is no deposit scheme, because the deposit scheme is a government policy that has to be put in place by the government. Yeah. Now, if you take this to a country that has no deposit scheme, then the whole system breaks down. Now, what we are trying to do is we 
take, we, we try and make the incentives not just financial. We also make it social in the sense that okay. um, we know that at the end of the day, it's a social problem. Like it's not just, oh, I want to get back my money. I want, it's also about understanding, feeling good about the process. So we do what we call like, you know, a gamification process where, you know, people can keep track of how much they're saving. I mean, how much um, they have um, put into the system. They know exactly where it is going. They can tell how much they have saved from the process. And also they can, you know, compare themselves with different people within the community. So which again is more social than financial. And um, like I think I mentioned, it's um, the, the technology itself is not the silver lining. It's not just the one bullet. There is also the um, incentivization aspect. And where we are bringing, I would say, the novelty in incentivization is not just making it just financial, also making it some, bringing some social aspect into that. That sounds awesome. Yeah. yeah. I, I would just like to add, and when we talk about social incentive, um, the reason why we are kind of like, you know, we're kind of stressing that or we're trying to actually push for that is because you see this everywhere in the society. Financial incentives can only go to a certain degree. For instance, let's say, why do people want to become professors today or become, um, or why would anybody want to become a police officer where you know you could die or, it's, or, or go in the army where you know you could easily be killed in the line of fire? It's all about the social prestige of being a soldier or a mm -hmm. professor because you don't earn so much money. And that holds way stronger than any amount that you want to give anybody. Astronauts go through a huge, all their life, very intense amount of training. And at the end of the day, you don't see astronauts in the foreblitz. No, you don't. But that social incentive of, I am an astronaut. So this is what we're trying to bring into the recycling perspective. Giving people that's, you know, first of all, the understanding of how important this is to, you know, um, us as mankind. And then giving that you know, social weight to people who are actually doing the right thing when it comes to waste management and recycling. Yeah, and that's a really nice idea. How did you come up with this whole idea? Did you always know that's the direction I want to take? So in order to get there, I have to study engineering, do a PhD, etc. How was the process? Um, no, I think um, most times, you know, the way these things work is... It's kind of like an energy that pulls you. You don't necessarily know where you're going in direction, but it just feels good every single step along the line. I have to admit that and, um, I've had so much help and so much luck along the line from where I started to where I am now. For instance, I have co-founders who are from four different countries. So having the expertise and the know-how or kind of like the understanding of how waste works in all those other countries also has been very beneficial for us. Definitely. Personally, my story started in the south of um, Benin City. That's where I was born and grew up in Nigeria. It's in the south of Lagos, about three, four hours by road. And um, I, was, I, was, um, I grew up on a farm. My mom had a chicken farm. It, or she still has a chicken farm. So... Um, Now, the process in which way it works in chicken farm is when you have chicken and they gave you eggs, there's one byproduct. They shit a lot and it smells a lot. And you have to then take care of that. I have worked in the farm like almost, you know, all my life. And 
it got to a point where you take this chicken shit, literally. Um, I'm not trying to course here, but <laughs> you take it and you dump it somewhere. And when you dump it, um, every single time the smell is disturbing, you know, other farmers and other, and there's always this complaints, they always have problems with the government. And then doing a little bit of research, I realized that just not like, you know, another, I think about uh, 500, 600 kilometers north of where we are, they had huge farms that actually pay for these things. So what was our waste was actually their value. So um, very easily, you know, just got the logistics, started sending it there, and they started selling and making some money. So the concept of waste to value actually kind of um, originated from that. So looking now fast forward about, I think, another 10, 15 years down the line when I was doing my master's in, in Abu Dhabi, we met again with some, you know, a few Nigerians who came for the World Future Energy Summit, and we were talking about, you know, the problems, the plentiful problems in Nigeria. But one thing that stuck to me was the problem of waste, because it brought me back. And like, if we could solve this problem in my mom's farm with this simple approach, we can possibly just, you know, think about something similar from a universal scale, and then solve the problem of, you know, um, waste pollution. Uh, it wasn't as straightforward. It hasn't been as straightforward as my mom's farm's problem, of course. But I would say it's exactly the same concept. And the idea of actually having co-founders uh, that have lived and grew up in different other environment, bringing that expertise on the table has then just been a blessing. But was it planned? No. Did I, did I, did I plan to come to the UAE and just do waste? No. I was working on energy. But... It was never planned. I think this is the way this, it goes. It's uh, energy that was drawn to me that felt really good. I was also really drawn to the magnitude of the problem, the size of the problem. It's a huge problem. And um, as an engineer and quotes um, scientist, um, I'm, what really excites me is basically, basically solving problems. And the bigger the problems, the more excitement you get, you know, after you have a solution. So it felt like something that, you know, I should be doing. Yeah. Problems and solutions, this, uh, these are two good words. One of the major benefits that people often overlook is the impact that recycling programs can have on a community. How can recycling impact a community, environmental, but also, and most importantly, socially impact a community? Yes, um, that's a good question, and I think we can go like days talking about it. But <laughs> <laughs> Let's keep it simple. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, from an environmental perspective, it's very simple. Like, you know, you need way less energy to convert an aluminium can into a uh, waste aluminium can into another aluminium can than going through the whole process of getting aluminium from bauxite and then into an aluminium can. You, I think you save close to more than half of the energy you use. So from that, that translates to carbon CO2 savings and, of course, an environmental um, impact. You can say the same for several, every other material. It is, you think about it, you have recycling is kind of thinking about starting, either starting to build a house from scratch by just giving a bare barren land or something that already has a foundation and has like, you know, the bricks around, which is going to be easier and cheaper for you, which is all going to be faster, which is going to have less impact on the environment. That's how recycling works. So obviously, it is easier, cheaper, less environmentally impact, um, expensive for you to recycle. 
that's common knowledge. From a social perspective, there's so many things that go into it. I'll seek something that is not very obvious because I think maybe that could be to be enlightening. When it comes to waste, if you have a house or you have or you have a, your, your home close to the dump site, it's obvious that the value of that home is going to be less than any other place in the city. Definitely. Yeah. For sure. Health-wise, there are proven studies that shows that you're also going to be having negative impact from a health perspective because you're closer to an unhealthy environment. So, first of all, if the value of your home is less just because it's close to a dump site, there is a social, I would say, segregation there already. You, you're being put in, a, I would say, a lower social status already. And the valuation of that building or your house is going to keep reducing as more and more waste comes to that place. So that's just one angle to look about it, how it could negatively impact us as a people. What about how that can positively impact us? So uh, there, there is, of course, you know, the, Every single system has its pros and its cons, and the current system which we have has its pros in the sense that you have people, when you have a process that is longer, you would, yes, you might be spending much more money, but you have jobs in there. Like if you take away the process of actually transporting material to, from the point of collection to the landfill, you have taken away the job of a truck. Yeah, that's right. And um, so if you want to look at it from, you know, in quotes of the prawns, there is, it's not efficient, but you're actually giving more jobs. But this brings us to now the argument of does technology actually take jobs from people or not? And this is, a, you know, a definite, because you could argue that the truck driver, you can basically teach him to be an entrepreneur who would then be dealing waste by collecting in his own location or you can teach this truck driver to now be into waste transformation, which is more of, I would say, an impactful job for everybody. Because if you say, okay, I'm taking all the truck drivers, I'm teaching them how to transform waste into a new material, they have their own business, and, you know, it's good for the environment. I think the difficult part is, like, you know, to take this man you talk about, for example, and to say, okay, now you have to learn something else. So the question is, like, You went to Lagos and you made your uh, field study and then you uh, came uh, with this idea of the smart bin and then you went back to Lagos and you said to people, okay, uh, listen, there's something new here. Let's do it. How was the acceptance? In Lagos is very difficult because, um, and you know, like I said, you know, every location has a different <laughs> perspective. First of all, for a new technology, as you can imagine, um, it's, it's, it's really... It's seen, or I wouldn't say it's seen, it is too costly to make financial sense in Vegas. Okay. From technology that is really new. And I'll give you an example. Um, solar panels, when they first came into use, they were very, very expensive because you have to go do a lot of modifications, kind of like, you know, um, optimize the system. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that didn't come down until about, you know, maybe 10, 20 years down the line. And it's the same with, you know, us. We are still very new. So it's really, really expensive to actually have that as a solution in Nigeria. But 
In Germany, where you already have the reverse vending machines, totally different, you know, story because yeah, yeah, definitely. There, there is already a system for this kind of, you know, um, technologies, and we are just, you know, coming and sliding into that. So Lagos, it has not been readily accepted as a technology, which is understandable because it is too expensive to fit into the current system. But the system of having the apps where you connect people together and then having a unique collection point where you can accumulate so that the person who is collecting doesn't have to go and pick up four or five bottles. So that works very well um, from um, a Lagos perspective, but not the smart brands. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So we are speaking about systems and every system has, has a hierarchy and um, cycle has also a hierarchy. It's uh, like uh, you call it the three R hierarchy of cycle, reduce, reuse, and recycle. I think this is a terminus or this is a hierarchy that everyone in their waste management field uh, knows that what are the particularities of this hierarchy at your company? Yes, yeah, so that's a very good question. I, I look at this as, you know, the three hours is um, reduce, reuse, and recycle, right? And we are in the recycle term. Now, this hierarchy, most of the time, is usually seen as a competition. And people will say, why should we recycle when it's more effective to reduce or, you know, reuse because of the hierarchy? One thing I always, I always, you know, come back to is uh, trying to bring people back into the perspective that these three hours are not competing against each other. The three hours are working together to solve a problem. Yes, reuse and reduce comes before recycling. But if you do not have recycling, you break the system. Let's look at this as, you know, I want to say look at it. These three hours are a team. And just like in any football team, yes, the striker might be the main man. You know, he might be the most important. But if you do not have defense and you do not have a goalie, you're definitely going to lose the game. So I see recycling and, you know, when you have, have like reduce, you have, okay, reduce is the, is the, is the striker. Reuse is the midfielder and recycling is the goalie. So you have to have all three in place for these to actually work as a system. In our case, we definitely always still bring people back and say reduce, reuse, recycling as a company because that has been the proven way to actually solve this problem. But I think personally, there should also be, you know, I would say kind of like a paradigm shift in the way we look at these things because Waste as a concept is a design flaw. Nothing should actually be designed to a point where it will actually generate waste because it doesn't make any sense. Okay. If you have your design optimized, it should not result in any waste. It's kind of like an accounting balance sheet. If you have everything really optimized well and everything in place, it should add up. Yeah. Whatever you put into this system should come back out of that system and is used for something else or whatever the case is. So I think when you say the three hours, we should have a fourth hour or the first of these three hours, I mean, fourth hour, but the first, which should be the redesign. We need to start thinking of redesigning things to avoid waste totally. But before we get there, we have a lot of the opposing team, which is climate change, you know, pollution, attacking us as a team mm. we need to work as a team with those three hours reduce reuse recycle and recycle always the way we see it will always be 
the one who stops, you know, the gold from going into the net and which is kind of like stopping the plastic from going into the ocean or stopping, you know, the plastic from um, contaminating the gutters. You said before, education is really important. I mean, we have to, I think in this path, you have to really educate, first of all, the people. And since we are talking about education, let's let's try to educate a little bit in our podcast also. Do you have any specific advice to follow regarding sustainable urban living? How will this zero-waste lifestyle change as the weather changes? Again, that's also like, you know, a topic we can talk for days. But we'll try and keep it. <laughs> we'll try and keep it into, um, uh, we'll try and keep it as nuggets for now. So from an urban society, there, there, and there, from a proving, I would say what has been proven so far, you have the enablers or in course the facilitations, which are more of like technology, like, you know, making sure that people can do this easily. Mm -hmm. You want people to do something. Okay. If you want people to go to, to go to school. You have to, and the schools are like maybe 20 kilometers away. You have to facilitate them with buses or facilitate them with, you know, trains so they can get there. You know, so in our sense, the technology is a facilitator. You have to make it easier for people to be actually be able to put their material in the right place, make it closer to them, make it less complicated. And that's using technology. So that's one arm. Any urban society that wants to solve this problem has to have the right technologies in place. On the second arm, it's now the incentivization slash, you know, um, education. So because incentivization, when you tell someone, if you do, if you do well in school, I'll give you a gift, you know, you are forcing that person or you're kind of like, you know, leaning towards pushing that person to actually study, to understand what's happening in school. So this is kind of like the same thing for waste, you know, oh, if you give me this plastic material and, you know, you sort it and you do this, I give you a gift card. You're kind of inclining or pushing a person to understand, okay, this is how I can, this is how I should sort it. This is how I should, you know, package it. This is how I should, you know, place them. So it's kind of like, you know, assisting the education process. So, When it comes from an urban society, just to re, you know, re, re, rephrase the two points I'm making here, I think what's really important is having the incentives slash education and the facilitation technology. So combining these two makes it because if you have one or the other, you have a technology there and nobody knows how to use it or nobody knows why it's there. It's just going to lie there. If you have all the incentives in the world and you don't have a way to actually make it easier for people to do it, it, it becomes also a problem. So bringing these two aspects together is what I believe would actually increase the chances of succeeding as an open society. Yeah, that's right. But I will, I will play the dummy again. Incentives are really clear. It's, it's uh, normal. You do this, you get that. So, but... How is this artificial intelligence, this technique, helping recycling become more, let's say, circular? Um, so the artificial intelligence, it's not putting under the incentive aspect. It's more of the facilitation aspect in the sense that you have some materials that are very difficult for people to understand which category they fall into. You know, you have, I think, tens of different types of plastic. And if you want someone to actually recycle and you're telling him, okay, put P here, put PP here, put PET there, 
then trying the, them trying to understand which of them is PET, which is PE, which is it's kind of like you know strenuous. But if you then make that learning process a bit easier by saying throw this material inside, I would figure out what it is and I'll let you know. So you're giving back the education, saying, okay, I have facilitated to make sure you get it right, but I'm also giving you feedback so you know exactly how it should be done next time. So again, it, the AI is more of a facilitator than an incentive, but um, you would need not just the facilitator, you need facilitation and incentives in order to make this work. There is another thing I was um, I was eager to ask you. In the waste management industry, there is a controversy on single versus multiple stream recycling. Can we break down the concept for those listeners who are not waste experts? Yeah, sure. Yeah, that's a very interesting topic to go into in waste management because like you rightly said, it's a huge controversy. And what it means is when you say single stream, it means that you would have different bins for different materials so that when you, or different recyclables rather, so that when you pick the bin, you know I have only this type of material in here. Multiple stream means that you have only one bin and you take all of the recyclables inside that bin. Then when you pick the bin, you have all the recyclables, you take it to the recycling facility, and then you have to sort it out yourself. Now, the controversy is that With a single stream, you have a bin, you would hardly ever actually get a single stream because you would have the odd 10, 15% of the people who are not paying attention or who might be malicious or not, but contaminates the single stream. So you still have to do some sorting when you get to the recycling facility. So people say, if we still have to do some sorting in the recycling facility, why don't we just make it easier for everyone to know, throw everything recyclable in this bin, and then we sort it out in the, in the facility. Now, the controversy is which of them makes more sense in terms of time, money, and um, actually recycling. You could you have different sides of the coin. I am more into, obviously, the single stream, but I think the single stream is could be made more efficient. And this is what we try to do at Cycle. We try and ensure that when we say single stream, it is actually always going to be single stream by using our AI to ensure that there is no odd 10, 15% contamination inside that single stream. Okay, I see. You know, we are almost at the end of our podcast. Thanks, first of all. Thanks for this explanation. I think our listeners out there who are not waste experts are going to appreciate it a lot. Before we finish, last time when we met in Dubai, gosh, it seems like a really yes. long time ago, but it was just more than a year. Um, anyway, since we both are global citizens, so to speak, you are a Nigerian living in Abu Dhabi, me a Cuban living in Germany. I can remember we had this talk about how is it to go home back to the country of your origin. And I think for you, it is very clear you want to apply and invest the know-how and assets you are gaining back to your home country, Nigeria. Yet it's important once you go back, you want to go like well-equipped. I remember you saying this is only possible if you are successful abroad. I think this is a very interesting issue certainly common among most people who once 
left their place of origin, like me, for example. Would you mind elaborating this idea a little bit? Yes, um, like you said, it seems like ages ago, but uh, <laughs> that was just um, <laughs> that was pre-COVID, I would say. Yes, I think you have kind of like, you know, touched um, on that point. Like you have kind of like explained the the framework here. The way we see it or the way it is the world these days um, is nobody wants to or nobody, what we call intelligence or what we call, you know, organized reasoning as a society is learning from the past. If someone comes and a person you know, leaves um, a certain community, he goes somewhere else and he keeps failing and failing and failing outside. When he comes back, he's called a failure and that's it. And nobody really wants to because we can't really tangibly see anything that you have done that, you know, has helped any other person. Why should we believe, you know, it would, you have something to help us. And it's common knowledge, it's common sense, it's, you know, as a community, it's intelligence. So once you leave a country or you leave your, your, you know, your home country and, um, the way I see it is you have the duty to actually try as much as possible to not only succeed, but succeed in a way that you know that you can also apply that success back home. Because now let's go a bit, let's, let's step back a little bit, you know, because End of the day, <laughs> end of the day, you and I, Yampian, know that we are very fortunate people to actually be able to get out of, or not even get out, but be able to experience, you know, the world basically. Yeah, yeah that's and right. And when you look at it fundamentally, what have we done to deserve these privileges? Sincerely, when you go back and back and back, end of the day, there is not so much we can categorically say we have done. Yeah, that's right. And I'm saying this, and I'm saying this fundamentally because what made us who we are today is our genetics and our environment. Mm -hmm. Everything boils down to that. Mm. So we have not chosen our genetics. We never chose the environment which we were born into. So everything that builds on top of that just comes as fortune. Yeah, that's right. So the way I see it, and I think we had that discussion that there is. Why are you the one getting this? You know, when you have good fortune, most times it's something people would not want to question, you know, oh, good fortune, oh, I'm, I'm fortunate, oh, good, that's all. But if you have bad fortune, you always question, why me? Yeah. Well, I think we should also try to question good fortune. Why me? Yeah. Uh, it has right. to be a purpose. It mm -hmm. has to be a purpose, you know? And if that purpose, you know, everybody has a way of kind of defining the purpose for themselves. And the way I see it is that, that purpose has to be in the terms of bringing back an equilibrium. If you're entitled to go, or sorry, if you are kind of like, you know, you, you're given a certain privilege or you kind of have some kind of benefit, and you use that to be able to gain a lot for yourself. And then there is a misbalance. I'm, um, by core scientists, I believe there's a thermodynamical imbalance where at the end of the day, we cause a lot of entropy, disturbance. So, it's only you, you, you definitely would want to balance that back out by giving back or trying to, you know, reapply some of what you have had to grow in the other side. And, you know, this is basically my, I would say my guiding principle. Go out, build as much as you can, try as much to succeed as much as you can in a way that you can 
always use that your success to kind of give back because if it's more like you know that's your duty that's why i see it actually personally it's my duty for me by you know getting this good fortune to be able to do this it's not you know something that i think i have a choice and i think i mentioned you know in the earliest early stage of this um, podcast is that end of the day all of this boils down to energy how does this make you feel it makes me feel good to you know be able to actually give back and that's what we do so try as much as possible get as much knowledge try and succeed as much as possible so that you can then reapply it and succeed more where you're coming from and the only way you'll be look you know um credible or the only way you can actually be person you can be credible is if you have actually succeeded before you know you have so you just come back and just reapply it not trying to you know um i would say dig for that success again you know get it done come with the success and you know reapply it so everything goes really fast and smooth wherever you're doing it thank you ayola for this answer to your motivation and your opinion on one's personal fortune I like the way you put it. It's a topic we could probably spend talking about for another whole podcast. For now, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Ampere. I appreciate this talk. Me too. In January this year, Cycle Technologies announced that the co-founder and COO, Dr. Ayola Brimo, is on the list of IU35 winners in the Middle East and North Africa region. Ayola has been recognized for his contribution to the development of the smart bin and its ability to detect and sort recyclables from the general waste streamed at the moment it is disposed of. So, congratulations. Thank you very much, Ampia. Thank you very much. Um, I would just have to just um, put, just put a disclaimer there. I think the smart bin has been made by our team, a group of team. The personal reward is really nice, but I think um, it's only fair to, you know, say that it was actually innovation of cycle. So because every single one of the team have had like huge impacts in making, you know, the, the beam to where it is today. And that's the way it is. Dear listeners, if you want to know more about the smart pin and the work Ayola and his team are doing, pay them a visit at cycle.no. Ayola is the second friend of Jidaf I have the chance to talk with. Our very first was Angela. We were talking about TCM and COVID. So if you haven't listened to this particular episode or if you haven't heard any of the more than 35 episodes we already have, take a look at giraffe-heroes.eu. I am also really happy to present you, dear listeners, more of our Friends of Giraffe in coming episodes. And like I always say, you'll find the stories of the Cantari alumni, the Friends of Giraffe and the Giraffe Heroes, the stories of people sticking their necks out every Tuesday on Spotify, iTunes, our homepage, and every other place where you get your podcast. And if you subscribe, you don't have to look out for us. We'll be coming to you. Please tell us about your frontline hero. If there is a friend, a family member, an organization, or someone you know who is doing a great work in the community, nominate them as a giraffe hero or tell us about them. My name is Jean-Pierre Aguilar-Duragnona, and I hope you join us also on our social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. But more importantly, I hope you join us again next week. Stick Your Neck Out, the weekly podcast of the Giraffe Heroes Foundation. 